Well, did the Old Testament believers experience the same thing that becomes ours by virtue of what Christ has done for us in the fullness of time? The short answer to that question is yes. Uh, though they worshipped him and believed in him and looked for him under the type and shadow of the Old Testament economy, it was the same Christ who was their mediator. He's the substance in respect to which what they had in the types and shadows was merely a pointing forward of the eternal sanctuary and the eternal reality of being in the presence of God through his saving work. Listening to episode 139 of Mid America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Dr. Venema continues to explore the intermediate state for believers, but from the perspective of the Old Testament. What do the Psalms have to say about what happens to believers after they die? Did Old Testament saints experience the same state as New Testament believers? Tune in right now to find out. We'll see in this section that the souls that John sees before the altar in the book of Revelation, they're crying out, How long, O Lord? So obviously, there's something about their state that falls short of the fullness of what they anticipate. Part of their concern, by the way, if you read the passage there in, I believe it's chapter 7, is that uh, some are not yet with them. And the Dutch theologian Herman Boving, I should throw this in here a moment, makes a very interesting observation. He says, think about your life now in dwelt of the Spirit, whom Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 calls a guarantee of that full life that will ultimately be ours when God's work in and for us is completed as being very good. It's the beginnings of eternal joy, the already of what we now have in Christ. We have the beginning already of eternal life. But it will be, in some respects, by comparison, even better to be, as I put it a moment ago, ushered into the presence of the Lord in the intermediate state. But that's not the best. It takes you back to your old grammar class, you know, good, better, best, the adjective and its comparative and superlative. Well, there you have it. The superlative is when all of God's saints, that's another thing that Bobbing makes wisely by way of observation, the people of God could never be fully and ultimately satisfied until every one of their number and all those sheep for whom Christ shed his precious blood have been brought in and share together with all the saints uh, the fullness of their redemption. But now the question is, how are we to understand this intermediate state when we fall asleep in Jesus and this earthly tent, as Paul describes it, Uh, which is but a temporary dwelling, not enduring, perishable, mortal, is dissolved, as some of the older translations have it. Uh, What becomes of us upon death, before the resurrection? And here I'd like to remind you again of that phrase I read from the Heidelberg Catechism, that not only my soul after this life shall immediately be taken up to Christ its head. That's the phrase I want to focus on. 
Now, I want to mention, just in fairness to the Westminster Standards, in chapter 32 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, you have a very similar comment of the state of men after death, is the heading, and of the resurrection of the dead. It starts out this way, the bodies of men after death return to dust, but their souls, which neither die, that is, are not annihilated, cease to be, nor, note well, sleep. So if you want to know if I'm in good company, well, I'm with the Westminster Divines in saying that when the Bible speaks of ours falling asleep, it doesn't mean sleep in some literal sense, where we're instantaneously upon falling asleep, finding ourselves at the point of the last day and the resurrection of the just and the unjust. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. Notice that language, immediately return to God who gave them. Uh, the souls of the righteous, it goes on, being then made perfect in holiness. By the way, you know the passage from which that derives. It's Hebrews 12 at verse 22. You know, when we worship God through Christ, the mediator, who's made the way open for us into God's presence, we join the church the assembly of the firstborn, and we are with the spirits. We worship before the throne of God. We're caught up in a manner of speaking to heaven by the Spirit into the presence of God through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? We're in good company because with us are all the saints who have gone before us. It's a big theme in the book of Hebrews. Uh, that cloud of witnesses are those saints who have gone before us, and they're described there as in the presence of God, worshiping Him as the spirits of just men made perfect. What does that mean? It means to be released from every remainder and consequence in the way of pain, distress, affliction, trial that is ours in this body, meanwhile we groan, and being brought fully sanctified, cut off, separated from the world and its sin, and no longer oneself, in spirit at least, a sinner. We make only a small part of perfect obedience in this life, but upon death we are become the spirits of just men, men and women, believers, made perfect. That's the language of the confession. Now, is that scriptural? You may know the name of B.B. Uh, Warfield, the great Presbyterian theologian. Warfield says, we should think of the Old Testament as being like a dimly lit room. Now, that's not a negative comment about the Old Testament. It just recognizes that it isn't as fulsome in its light and the uh, full revelation that is granted to us with the coming of Christ in the fullness of time, who is the light of the world, and who came to bring immortality and life, what, says Paul, to Timothy, to light. So in the Old Testament, Warfield says, things are present as they are present in a dimly lit room, but you don't see them clearly until you have the full light of the full revelation given us in the New Testament Scripture. I say all of that as a sort of prelude to why I'm using the language Old Testament foreshadowings. You do not have in the Old Testament as clear and as fulsome a disclosure of what happens to believers. That's one of the questions that was asked. Well, did the Old Testament believers experience the same thing that becomes ours by virtue of what Christ has done for us in the fullness of time? The short answer to that question is yes.
Though they worshipped him and believed in him and looked for him under the type and shadow of the Old Testament economy, it was the same Christ who was their mediator. He's the substance in respect to which what they had in the types and shadows was merely a pointing forward, really itself a refraction or a reflection of the eternal sanctuary and the eternal reality of being in the presence of God uh, through his saving work. All of that is to say that you do have, if you look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New, intimations of what the New Testament more fully reveals. What do I have in mind? Well, the language in the Old Testament, for example, of Sheol, which in the New Testament, in the language of the New Testament, is often rendered Hades. Sheol can mean in the broadest possible sense that pit, that lowermost part of the earth to which we descend, which represents what I said earlier Paul calls our last enemy, death. It's the realm where death reigns. That's why it sometimes means simply the grave. And in those meanings and usages, you'll find instances in the Old Testament where believers also go down to the grave, where they too are subject to death and the power of Sheol. But what's interesting in the Old Testament is if you read your Psalter very carefully and you trace out how the Old Testament believing community celebrates what they believe and are confident they will receive at the hand of their covenant Lord, you'll find that death does not have the last word. It may well be a place appropriate to and reserved for the wicked who go down to Sheol, who are subject to death, who are cut off from the land of the living, who do not enjoy life unbroken in communion with God, but it is not the destiny of the righteous. Now, I know I always go in such a way as not to accomplish what I set out to accomplish, but let me just illustrate that very quickly from the Psalter. My mother's favorite psalm, and certainly the favorite psalm of not a few believers, particularly in the face of death impending. This is what Psalm 16 tells us. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You know that, of course, from in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter reduces this passage and references it as it was fulfilled in Christ. And all those who are Christ's enjoy that victory in him. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is the realm where death reigns, where I'm cut off from communion with God and life in praise to God, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, says the psalmist, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How does the psalmist end his celebration of the Lord's pastoral or shepherdly care over him? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and end there, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever. Forever. And I'll just give you a few other illustrations. Psalm 49 at verse 14, where the psalmist says, the following, let sheep, like sheep, they, that is the wicked, are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, 
and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Often as a pastor, I would read Psalm 27 to God's people in circumstances of serious illness and distress and impending death. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that isn't just a celebration of healing for a moment. That's an intimation that the psalmist, our God says our Lord in the New Testament, remember when he has a contest with the Sadducees who denied the resurrection? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is what? He's the God of the living and not the dead. Life in communion with this God by virtue of his mercy and grace, ultimately leads the child of God to long for and eagerly anticipate that he will do it. And you get that again and again in the Psalms. Just a couple of other examples. Psalm 73 at verse 25, also very well known to us. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail... But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Think of Psalm 121. He keeps our coming and going both now and what? For a few more years? Forevermore. You read that Psalter carefully with this question in mind. Does the hope of the believer, even in the Old Testament, terminate at death? Uh, why why do you think uh, when Lazarus died... And our Lord said he's not dead. He's just fallen asleep. And then subsequently raises him. She says, well, yes, he'll be raised, but in the day of the resurrection to come. In the world to come, in a manner of speaking. Well, she had obviously inherited within the believing community formed by the Old Testament Scriptures already an intimation of what has become for us a clear and more lustrous, bright, shining, as we have come to know that light and that life and immortality that is given to us through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing the doctrine of the intermediate state is for those who are in Christ, knowing that our loved ones in the Lord are even now consciously worshiping Him before the throne of God. Next week, we turn to a more sobering issue, but one that nevertheless is important to observe. Why? Because the souls of unbelievers are at stake. Tune in next time as Dr. Venema elaborates on the biblical doctrine of hell. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.